we of course stand on the cusp of, of Christmas. This is a very short Advent, the shortest possible Advent. We just begin the fourth week of Advent today and then tomorrow. Obviously we start celebrating uh, Christmas Eve. So it feels like it, it came upon us very quickly. I, I don't know if I ever remember an Advent that feels like, wow, that really took a long time. No, it always comes quickly. Um, when it came to the first Christmas, it felt like it took a long time. And people have been waiting and longing and grieving and many of them even giving up hope for a long time. Our readings, our first reading especially, helps set the context of Christmas as a part of this this grand story um, and a a story of promise, uh, a story of waiting, and the story of God's people. Christmas isn't just this random thing that happened one year and it's like, oh, that's, a, that's fun. No, no, this was part of, again, a great story and a part of, uh, of a God who, who sees and knows his people and desires what's best for them. So it's, it's not random that we have this first reading. The first reading sounds a little like, well, what's going on? Like, what does this have to do with Advent and Christmas? David is the king. He's been established as king in Israel. This was around the year 1000 B.C. And... He's got his palace made of of cedar. And he kind of has this moment realizing like, gosh, I'm living in this palace made of cedar wood and yet the the Ark of the Covenant, which was the the dwelling place of God, the presence of God, is in a tent. And he's like, "Ah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why am I dwelling in this house and and God is dwelling in a tent? Like, that's not right. So I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to build him a temple. So he tells the prophet and the prophet's like, yeah, do what you want. But then later, God reveals uh, to the prophet Samuel what, what the plan is. And God basically is saying, you think you're going to build me a house? No, no, no. I'm going to build you a house. But not a physical house, but rather a house as in a dynasty, as in a kingdom. And he makes this promise at the end. He says, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your heir after you, sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me, and your throne shall stand firm forever. Again, we have to kind of shake off the fact that this is the Bible, but to, to imagine being a king in this promise, like your kingdom's going to exist forever. Kingdoms come and go. I mean, all the time. Kingdoms, nations, you know, when we zoom out into history, they really come and go. The idea that this kingdom will exist forever seems like this immense, immense promise. We don't know what David thought for sure, uh, but it's very possible that he thought that his, his son was this king uh, who would uh, be like a son to God and whose kingdom would last forever. And maybe King David had also told people about this promise of what had happened and Samuel the prophet knew about it and so there was this confidence of, of perhaps like this, this nation, Israel, and this kingdom of the, the house of David, the lineage of David, the family of David, will just exist forever. And Solomon becomes the next king, and at first things seem to go well, but then uh, Solomon dies, and then Solomon's son is a real dirtbag, and pretty soon the kingdom splits into a north kingdom and a southern kingdom. I'm like, okay, well this doesn't feel like what the promise was. And then eventually the northern kingdom gets conquered 200 some years later and gets wiped out. 
southern kingdom's still there. That's where David's his house would have been in Jerusalem. Eventually the southern kingdom gets wiped out a couple hundred years after that. And then there's just hundreds of years where there is no kingdom and there is no king. And Israel is an occupied territory by, by name it, the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. They, they haven't, I mean, they, they haven't had a king forever. And there would have been a questioning in the heart of the people of like, what, is this, what did this promise see? What, was, what is this promise? What does that even mean? Like, is God not faithful? Or is he not powerful enough to keep his promise? Like, does he not care about us? H- has he forgotten us? I mean, centuries upon centuries have gone by and it must have felt like he's not coming, he doesn't care. But some people kept hope. And one person, above all else, kept hope. And that, of course, was Mary. The preface to the Mass, this is a part, a part of the prayer I say, right, as we're going into the Eucharistic prayer, says that Mary longed for Christ with a love beyond all telling. She had no external encouragement to think that, that God was going to come. I mean, she was just part of this history with everybody else, but she was longing for the coming of, of, of the Savior, of the King, with a love beyond all telling. That a King would come, that God would be faithful to his people, even that God in some way himself would come and, and visit his people. A lot of people had given up hope because it had been so very long and it seemed like God didn't keep his promise. So that is the context in which an angel is sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Joseph is the descendant of David. He is the heir not random. This is very particular. This is part of the promise. That God would raise up one of the heirs of David, of his house, and he would establish him as king. He would give him the kingdom. We can't imagine uh, what Mary's heart was doing as she's hearing this unfold, what the plan is. The angel comes and says, hail, full of grace. The word hail means rejoice. It means, hey, hey, something exciting is happening. Something really, really good is happening. Rejoice. The Lord is with you. Like God has, is coming. He's, he's present. And then the angel makes this promise again. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. God in this moment is showing that he's faithful. That he keeps his promise. Mary sings a song called the Magnificat when she's uh, speaking to her cousin Elizabeth. This, this, great, this great song of praise rises up from her heart. And the, the end of, of the song, the end of her praise, is just rejoicing that God's been so faithful that he has remembered his people and he's remembered his promises. God the Father is a father who keeps uh, his promises. He's a dad who remembers and keeps his promise. And his promise to us that he was going to come for us. 
and that he would send a king who would take control over things because things at times seem out of control. Amen? The promise of God is that he will come as king. We're going to celebrate Christmas in a couple days, but you know it, like, that it already happened, which means that the king has come now and he has everything under control. Does it always feel like it? Yes or no? Nope. <laughs> right? No, but indeed he does. Jesus Christ is king. And he has everything under control. And he shall reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. And the king of the universe who will reign forever is madly in love with you. And has chosen you. And desired to come so very close to you. Not only Mary, but you have found favor with him. Not only Mary, but you are called to rejoice. Because God has remembered his promise. He is faithful forever. There's a great cry in the heart of Mary, and then I think in the people of Israel, and then us as an entire church that says, God, you came. You're here. You're faithful to us. You've kept your promise. They waited so very long. Some of us, too, are still waiting for God to come in a deeper and more real way. There are parts of us that feel like he's not here, that feel alone, that feel unloved, unchosen. And again, there's a fear that what? That he doesn't care and that he's not coming. But no, he is faithful. He is faithful to you. When he's accused of being unfaithful, uh, in the Old Testament, he says, could a, could a mother forget her child and just be without tenderness for the, for the child of her womb? E- even if she could forget, I will never forget you. See, I have inscribed your name upon my hands. It is written upon my palms. The message of God to you, especially if you feel forgotten by him, is how could I forget you? Like I, I, I've written you upon my, um, upon my hand. Like you're right here, right? I always think of you. I've never forgotten you. I am faithful. I'm already here, but I'm coming even closer. And what does God come to do but to save us? What is Mary to name her child but Jesus? A name which means God saves. What does he want to save you from? Everything. Everything and anything that opposes you and your goodness and your beauty and your flourishing. He wants to save you from everything. Every, every experience of, of loneliness, of rejection, of abandonment, of pain, of distress, of depression, of anxiety, of, of addiction, of anger and rage and resentment. All, all the prisons that we find ourselves in. He comes to save us from all of it. And God just doesn't save us from something. He saves us into something. And the, the thing that he saves us into is infinite love. The king of the universe has come to save you and to embrace you, to bring you home, and to give you rest and peace and to love you infinitely. He promised he would. And he's doing it now. And one day, if we allow him to, he will fulfill all the deep longings of our hearts. And our hearts 
uh, will sing a song, uh, which is the song of Mary, which is the song of his people from age to age that hope in him, which is, oh God, like you meant it when you said it. You were faithful. You've come. You really love me. Um, I'll give you a moment to pray. I would like you to invite God to reveal to you that he is with you. And if you feel so moved, to let your heart say to him, like, thank God you're here. Thank God you've come. Thank you. But again, let's ask him, God, please reveal that you have come for me, that you're with me, that, that you're saving me. And let our hearts rejoice at his presence, that he is faithful, that he has come for us.